If you're new today, welcome to Pikes Peak Christian Church. You come at a good time of the year. We've been in the book of Genesis, walking through kind of a chunk at a, at a time. We've, we're reading through the book of Genesis, uh, five chapters a week, Monday through Friday, and this week we'll be looking at chapters 16 through 20. And if you want to jump in with us, stop out the Welcome Center or Connections Counter, you can get a copy of the reading plan to follow along with us. The title of the sermon today is actually stolen from a book. Um, I had a similar title, but when I saw the title of this book, I said, actually, like that title better. It's called Do Hard Things. It was a book written by Alex and Brett Harris, two teenagers who are getting discouraged because of what culture was doing uh, for young people. And they felt that the culture was actually uh, not challenging our young people and really just letting them go through life, uh, kind of going through school, getting good grades, and doing minimal things. And they said, you know, years ago, people used to challenge young people to have high, high aspirations, go change the world. And we're not doing that much anymore. And so in this book, it's really a call to young people to do this. He says, what would our lives look like if we set out on a different path entirely, a path that required more effort but promised a lot more reward? And they said there are five areas of, of hard things that they wanted to push people toward. One is to do things outside your comfort zone. Another was to go beyond what's expected or required. A third one was to um, do things that are too big for you to accomplish by yourself. Another was to do things that don't earn an immediate reward or profit. And then to do things that challenge the cultural norm. See, the cultural norm is to make things easier and more comfortable. And we like things like that, to be honest. We're all, we're all for comfort and ease. I mean, I remember the day when I used to have to walk up to my television set and turn the channel and then use a little dial there to fine-tune the station and then do this with the rabbit ears behind. We don't do that. Some of you kids are going, what's he doing? You have no clue how difficult it was to change channels on your TV. And now you just go like this. You know, you just point a clicker at it and, and push a button. And a lot of life is that way. If I want to adjust the thermostat or put some music on, I tell Siri or I tell Google Assistant or Alexa to do it for me, and they take care of it. I mean, I don't have to bother getting a coffee filter and measuring coffee and putting in the filter. I just drop a K-cup in there and put the lid down, and, and I get this great cup of coffee. I mean, I have actually saw a commercial about this device that you hook up to your stomach and it has little electrodes, and it, and it shocks your, your abs so they're flexing all day long. So, it, so what happens is the, the claim is you'll have rock-hard abs and never have to exercise because it will do it for you. That, that's what we, we want, things that are easy and simple. But the truth is the best things come the hard way. I'm not talking about making things unnecessarily hard, but I just know the, the good things in life don't come easy. You don't coast to growth. You have to go a, kind of an upward climb, which means you've got to You've got to go uphill and put some effort into it. And you'll fall. There will be times where you'll stumble. But the goal is not perfection. The goal is direction. The goal is direction. You cannot attain perfection. You can set yourself in a direction of constant growth. But in order to do that, you'll have to bypass the easy way and choose to do things that are hard. And we're going to see that in the story of Abraham through the chapters we read this week, we see a whole series of Abraham sometimes doing some things that are really good, and then some things that just amaze us how, how foolish he was in doing these things. And we think, how could, how could God pick Abraham to be this man that's kind of head up, uh, um, held up as an example of faith when he makes some decisions that really aren't based on faith at all? They're based on fear. And yet Abraham's the one that's called a friend of God. Well, it's kind of the same reason why David, a man who was an adulterer, a murderer, a liar is called a man after God's own heart. 
See, it's not about perfection. It's about direction. It's about people who make mistakes. Sound familiar? Right? That's us. People who make mistakes but who get back up and walk in a Godward direction. And that Godward direction is, is uphill. And it's going to require effort. And it requires us to do the hard thing. And so I want you to listen to the story of Abraham, hopefully to be encouraged in your own walk, to recover from the bad steps you've taken when you've taken the easy way, and to commit to doing the hard thing. Because I believe some of you today are in a position where God's called you to make a hard decision. And you've been afraid to do it. And I hope that today would be the day you cross that line. So I'm going to read in uh, Genesis chapter 16, the very first story. It says, Now Sarai, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai said. So after Abram had been living in the Canaan 10 years, Sarai took his wife, or Sarah, his wife, took her Egyptian slave, Hagar, and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Then Sarai said to Abram, you are responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she left from her. I see in this story, it was just jumping out at me, that, that in this, Abram took the easy way, the way of little conflict. He abdicated his role as a leader in his own home, as a man of faith. He abdicated his leadership role. See, last week we learned, once again, that God told Abram and, that he's going to have a lot of kids. He's going to have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren and, and so forth, as numerous as stars in the sky. And yet, here it is. Several years later, he's not having any children yet. And yet God said, you're going to be the father. But we, we never hear at, at this point that Sarah is to be the mother. So she starts to wonder, maybe I'm not the woman that God wants to do this through. So maybe you should sleep with our slave girl, Hagar, and then she could bear your child. And so, so Abram says, whatever you say, dear. And... Uh, so, so he goes off with Hagar, and we don't know if this is a one-time event or if this happens several times, because obviously she, you don't know the next day if she's pregnant. So, you know, he, he's probably tried several times, and she finally gets pregnant. And when she does, it just infuriates Sarah. She looks at her and feels that, that, that Hagar has contempt for her, that because of her barrenness and the fact that she's pregnant, she's better than her. Now, that's how she feels. We don't know if that's what Hagar's thinking. I kind of doubt that that's what Hagar's thinking. But Sarah feels that way. And so who does she blame? Abram. You caused this to happen. It's all your fault. And I can feel Abraham saying, what are you talking about? I'm just doing what you told me to do. You want a baby? I got you, baby. Aren't you happy? She goes, no, not happy. Because here's, here's what I'm reading in the story. What she wanted wasn't as much the baby as the assurance that God was still working out her plan, his plan through them. Catch that. What she wanted wasn't the baby. What she wanted was the assurance God was working through them with his plan. Because the fact that when she found out she was pregnant and drove her away says, okay, she's willing to give up the baby now. Maybe she wanted something different. I think she did. I think what she wanted was for Abram to step up as a man of faith, and assure her that God was still at work. See, what, what would have happened if Abram had said to Sarah when she suggested that, say, no, no, you're my wife. 
and you're the only wife I ever need. God has made us a promise. And until he tells me to do otherwise, we are going to hold faithful to him. We're going to be trust him. And we're to get busy about the work he's called us to do. By the way, I've got a candle lit in back and Michael Bublé's playing. And <laughs> you look pretty good tonight, babe. Let's go make a baby. Just imagine if that was Sarah, what would she think of her man at that moment? That's my man. Man of faith, a man who loves God, a man who's correcting my faulty thinking. But that's not what he does. And so, so he steps back, and, and now that there's a mess, says, hey, you fix it. Do whatever you want with that girl. So she treats uh, Hagar harshly and drives her away. Now, if you've read the story, this is pretty amazing. Hagar goes, she's really a homeless girl now that's pregnant, and she goes out in the wilderness, and the Lord comes along beside her. And the Lord speaks to her. And he says, Sarah, or, uh, Hagar, go back and submit yourself to, to, to your master, Sarai. Go back. Do the hard thing. I know she treated you harshly. Go back. Be a servant to her. That's what I'm calling you to do. And, by the way, I'm going to bless you. You're going to bear a son. His name will be Ishmael. He'll, he'll be the father of a great nation, and you will be blessed. And you know how Hagar responded to this? She didn't say, you want me to do what? No, no. It's really beautiful. What, what, Sarah, what Hagar says back to the Lord is, truly I have seen him who looks after me. Isn't that what Sarah wanted? Isn't that what Sarah wanted from Abraham? A man who looks after her? A man who sees her need, who hears her and responds? See, I believe Abram abdicated acting as a faithful leader in his own home. And he did it because he was afraid. He maybe was afraid of his wife or afraid of, of, of her anger or her, her emotions. He didn't know how to deal with it. And so a lot of guys are like that. A lot of us are like that. We don't know how to deal with it. Do whatever you want. Do, uh, whatever you say, dear, I'll do it. And so that's what he did. And he's really messing things up because he's afraid. You know what it says in the book of Romans, chapter 14, verse 23, whatever, whatever is not of faith is sin. Because when fear moves in, faith moves out. You can't, you can't have both. Either you're operating in faith or you're operating in fear. And Abraham right now is operating in fear. And obviously, there's a, a clear lesson to husbands. If you're married, there's a, there's, a, there's a message here that we need to be men of faith. We need to lead, lead our wives, our homes in faith. But there's a message for wives. There's a message for any parent in here. You need to step up and be a leader when you've been placed in a position of authority. If God's given you leadership authority, then lead in faith. You have a business. If you're a coach, if you're in a position, any position of leadership, lead faithfully. Lead, lead the person toward reliance upon God. Early in our marriage, Julie and I talked quite a bit, but I'd say I pushed hard, and, and there was full agreement. We did this together, but we made decisions that we're going to go to church as a family every Sunday. We're going we're to have dinner around a table and pray before we eat. We're going to treat one another with respect. You don't talk to your mother that way. You don't talk to your dad that way. You treat them with respect. We're going to tithe from what God gives us. Those are commitments we made as leaders of the household. Now, I know sometimes parents will say things like, man, I, I, just, I don't want to force religion down my kids' throats. They may reject God. That's true. I'm not talking about jamming anything down anybody's throat. What I'm saying is there's a time and there's a place and there's a responsibility to be a leader. 
And to say to your family, I believe this is what God wants us to do. And this is how we show we trust him. This is how we walk with him. That that's a good thing to do. Don't ever be ashamed of leading in faith. It's not being a dictator. It's being a leader. So Abram fell there and uh, took the easy route when he should have taken the hard route. We go on in chapter 17. We find out that Abram's now about 99 years of age. God comes and speaks to him. And in the process, here's where we find the, name, the, the names change. He's, he's now called Abraham. Abram means uh, exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude. And God speaks to him. We see uh, him reminding him of the promise he's made. Every time God comes to Abram at these different stages, he reiterates parts of the promise, and then he kind of expands it a little bit more. So in this one, he not only reminds Abram or Abraham that he's going to be a father of a multitude of people, but he also says, I have, a, I have a marking on you, a sign of the covenant relationship we're going to have with each other. It's this. And God said to Abram, as for you, you must keep my covenant, you and your descendants after you for the generations to come. This is my covenant with you and your descendants after you, the covenant you are to keep. Every male among you shall be circumcised. Now, I'm not going to go into the medical explanation of circumcision because I think all of you know what that is. If not, ask your, ask your mom or dad. They can explain it to you. But uh, this was done in other cultures, so it wasn't like unique to the Jewish families. And we're not actually told exactly why God chose us. Honestly, if, if I was in Abraham's sandals, I would have said, God, that's, that sounds really good. How about I counter that with a couple, couple other options? How about we just shave our heads? That would be the sign that we belong to the covenant. Or, or how about a tattoo? Tattoo, tattoo. Tattoo a burning bush or, or, a, or a tree of life. How about, how about that? We just wear a tattoo. That would mark all of us as we belong to God. We're part of the covenant. God says, no, circumcision. <laughs> and we don't know why. I mean, it's kind of odd when you think about it. Nobody's going to know except your wife. <laughs> it's, it's like it's a hidden sign. And... Um, so, so here's what I think, and this has been suggested by a lot of commentators, that it was something. See, externally, it wasn't something to boast about, but, but every time you went to make children, it was a visible reminder that God was in this with us. God's in this with us. And so all these children, that's the key part of the covenant, all these multitudes of children that are going to be born are going to be part of this covenant. And so here's what Abraham does. This is, what's, this is one of those times where, man, he gets it right. In verse 23, on that very day, Abraham took his son Ishmael and all those born in his household or bought with his money every male in his household and circumcised them as God told him. I mean, we've, we've taken our, we took our son when he was just a few days old. Honestly, Julie asked me if I wanted to go to the pediatrician with her. I said, no, nah, you just go by yourself. I just... I just don't, even, I, don't want to, I don't want to see that. I don't want to experience that. It's just, it just painful to think about. I can't imagine a 99-year-old man having to deal with this. And yet, immediately, that very day, he says yes to God. You know the absolute best time to obey God is? Right now. He didn't wait to another day. He didn't say, let me, let me research this a little bit. Uh, let me talk it over with the people. He just said, no, God said it. Let's, let's get on with it. And he does it. Such, such, a, such a man of faith to be obedient like that. This is, this is one of those moments where Abraham really gets it right. He's doing the, the God thing. You know, God, God has an assignment for each of us. And it's hard sometimes to fulfill your assignment for the Lord. 
I don't know what your assignment is. It might be starting a new ministry. It might be serving somewhere. It might be giving something. It might be sharing your faith with someone. It's an assignment that's going to require courage. It's going to be hard. It might cost you physically. Circumcision was a physical cost. It might cost you emotionally. Sometimes certain ministry things, are, are, they just wear you out mentally, emotionally. It may cost you financially. Do you know what uh, concerns me the most about our trip to Myanmar? It's the travel. I don't sleep well on planes. It's going to take about 40 hours to go from Denver to get to the city where we're going to. And we're going to be in airplanes and airports, and we're going to be spending a night in Bangkok at an airport, and it's just a long time before we actually get to the city where we'll be. And I'm just hoping that we get a lot of catnaps along the way or power, power snoozes to replenish us so when we get there, we'll be energized to go. But it, I'm also excited to see God stretch us, stretch us beyond our normal capacities, you know, teaching several times a day and be energized to do it again the next day and the next day and the next day, to stay up late at night talking with pastors and praying with them and and just to have the stamina to do that. I'm looking forward to getting beyond what's comfortable. So when you want to fulfill your assignment for the Lord, God's probably not going to ask you to do something really easy. If it's hard, it's probably from the Lord. And he knows it's going to cause you to grow. He knows it's going to, it's going to stretch your capacity. He knows it's going to cause you to uh, rely on him even more. When you do that, though, you experience peace. You experience peace. There's a peace and being faithful to the Lord. By the way, I don't know if uh, they put up on the screen, I forgot to mention with the first part that when you abdicate leadership, it leads to hurt. So if, if you missed that blank, put that in there because Sarah and Hagar both were hurt from his lack of leadership. But here, there's a peace he experiences when he fulfills his assignment with the Lord. We go on to the next chapter in 18, and here's another thing that he does right, and we'll see it in this story. The Lord appeared to Abram near the great trees of Mamre while he was sitting at the entrance to his tent in the heat of the day. Abraham looked up and saw three men standing nearby. When he saw them, he hurried from the entrance of his tent to meet them and bowed low to the ground. He said, if I found favor in your eyes, my Lord, do not pass your servant by. Let a little water be brought, and then you may wash your feet and rest under this tree. Let me get you something to eat so you can be refreshed and then go on your way now that you have come to your servant. Very well, they answered. Do as you say. So Abraham hurried into the tent to Sarah. Quick, he said, get three seas of flour and knead it and bake some bread. And then he ran to the herd and selected a choice tender calf and gave it to a servant who hurried to prepare it. Then he brought some curds and milk and the calf that had been prepared and set these before them. While they ate, he stood near them under a tree. I think what Abraham does here is, is really incredible because he serves his guests. Now, these aren't guests at first. They're actually intruders. They're strangers. But they become guests. They become welcome. That's what happens when a stranger gets welcomed in your home. Now they become your guests. And he takes the posture of a servant. Now, this is a 99-year-old man. It's not some young buck. It's a guy who's probably tired. It's the middle of the day. It's the, it's the heat of the day. It's siesta time. Time to rest. And he's probably at the door of the tent because there's a little bit of, sh- uh, he's not only has shade, but there's a little bit of breeze by the door. And then he looks and he sees these three guys coming directly toward him. You know, there are days, I'll just confess, there are days when maybe my day off and maybe a day I'm watching a, a, a basketball game on TV or football game and there's a ring at the doorbell and I go, oh, great. <laughs> you know, it's, it, it may be the Jehovah Witnesses. It may be, you know, somebody trying to sell something. I don't know, but, you know, my first response is that, hey, someone to serve. But that's what Abraham does. He sees them coming, and this 99-year-old man becomes like a puppy who's ready to sniff new tennis shoes. I mean, he goes, oh, there's, there's company coming. 
And he bows before them, and he gets them some water, and he says, hold on, I gotta, we're going to get you something to eat. He runs back to the kitchen and says, Sarah, Sarah, need some flour, make some cakes. We got company. Who's the company? I don't know, but they're hungry. And he runs over here, and he goes to the field, and he says, hey, that calf right there, I think that's the one. Go ahead and butcher it. Start to roast it. We're going to have a feast tonight. Who's the feast for? All these three guys that stopped by. Who are they? I don't know, but it's going to be good. And so when, when all that's done, now this has to take probably a couple hours, I would think. He brings the food, sets it before them, and then he steps back and stands quietly under a tree. What he's doing is taking the posture of a servant. I'm not here to eat with you. I'm here to serve you. I think, what an incredible statement from this man who's God's God's made this great promise. He didn't say, like, I'm above that. I'm God's chosen man. No, he says, oh, I'm chosen to serve. Do you know that in the Bible, there are two lists of qualifications to be an elder, One's in Timothy and one's in Titus. And there are um, some similar things in both lists, things like he's able to teach, he's a man above reproach. Um, but here's an interesting characteristic that's, that's in both lists. He must be hospitable. He must be hospitable. He must be someone who enjoys hospitality, who welcomes people in his home. Because there's something powerful that happens when you bring people into your home. It's, it's very personal. There's something that's honoring when someone says, hey, come sit at my table and eat my food. And I think we've lost that a lot in our culture. And yet the Bible commands us in 1, Timothy 4, excuse me, 1 Peter 4, 9, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Because when you do that, you're doing something extremely loving to the Lord. You remember when Jesus told the parable of the sheep and the goats in the midst of that parable in Matthew chapter 25? He says, for I was hungry... And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. And what he's doing for these three men, which we find out are actually angels, and one of them is the angel of the Lord, which may be God himself. We don't know. It's an angel, of the, angel representing the Lord. He's serving them. He's loving them. He's giving of himself to them. It's costing him something. Remember, when you do the hard thing, it's costful. It's costly. It can cost you financially. Uh, several years ago, Julie and I went to um, Arusha, Tanzania, on a mission trip. And there was a pastor in that community that wanted to have, have us over one afternoon. So we went over to their house. His name's Robert Molal. He and his wife met us, and they, they hugged us. And then when we sat down, they went to the kitchen and brought out a, a small plate that had little chunks of beef on it and two Coca-Colas. And then they set it there, and they went and sat across the room on a sofa with no food. Felt really uncomfortable being the only ones eating, but they said, please eat. And when, and when someone offers you something, especially in another culture, you accept it. So we accepted it. We chewed. It was kind of chewy meat. It was very flavorful. It was very humbling to eat meat by ourselves and to drink Coke and to have this conversation with them. When we got back to the Price's house, the Price's were the missionaries that we supported in Tanzania at the time, Scott told us that... Most families don't have meat, hardly ever. And the only time they have meat is for special occasions. And what they did for you was a huge sacrifice, financially, because they went out and got that meat for you. And then you realize people did that for us. It's pretty overwhelming. But you find that in cultures all around the world. But you don't find that a whole lot in the United States because we're very protected. That's my house, my space. And honestly, we have these fears 
that if I invite those people over to our house, they're going to look at the decorations, they're going to look at our house, maybe it's not the greatest house, I'm not the greatest homemaker, and we're worried about people walking away criticizing the way the house looks or the food or something like that. But think about it. When you're on the other side of it and you receive hospitality, is that what you do? Do you criticize the, the food and the way the house looks? Or do you just say, man, that was so great they invited us over. That meant so much that they had us into their house. That, that's how people respond. They don't care about the stuff around. They, 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 they care about you and the relationship, and it means a lot. And, you know, there's a blessing that comes when you do that. Hebrews chapter 13, 2. I think this was written uh, with, with Abraham in mind. We don't know the writer of Hebrews, but in chapter 13, he says, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by, doing, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. And Abraham was actually serving angels who came to be a blessing to them. There's a blessing when you serve. There's a blessing when you serve. See, Julie and I this past year have had some guests from Russia that we never met before, but we learned through another missionary that my wife knew when she went to Russia once, that these men were coming to the United States, coming to Colorado Springs, and that we might be a place where they could lodge for the nights that they were here. And so, oh, about a year ago, they came, and, and these two big Russian guys came in our house. You know, after watching all these movies, like with Liam Neeson, I think, you know, they could beat us up and kill us. But no, they're big, and they speak. We have a hard time communicating, but they, they're welcomed, and and they like to drink tea, and so we have a really good time with them. Well, they've been back two other times since then. And it's just, it's, we're always blessed when they come into our home. And many of you have been afraid to do that. And I would just encourage you, sometime after a Sunday morning service, catch someone and say, hey, would you like to come over for coffee or dessert or dinner, you know, into your home? It'd mean, it mean the world to them to get to know you in that way. And there's a blessing when you do that. And what happened in this story was, the angels actually came with a message for Sarah. Remember, she's struggling. Is she, the, is she the woman that's going to bear the child? I don't know. She doesn't know for sure. And the angel affirms this and says, within a year, in a year from now, she will have a child. Now, Sarah's listening from the kitchen, and she hears this, and she giggles to herself. And the angel hears it, and he's not laughing. He's not, he's not, he doesn't think this is funny. And he tells Abraham, because he hears Abraham and Sarah, and, and he knows their hearts. You know, we're old people. We're beyond childbearing years. How is this going to happen? And the angel says this, is anything too hard for the Lord? Remember, this is very similar to a, a teenage girl who's told she's going to have a baby, but she's never been with a man, and she's the name of Jesus. And she says, how is this going to be? And the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. See, when God says he's going to do something, you just have to believe. Somehow, some way, God's going to do it. So he does something really good here. But then right after the story, he blows it again. He blows it again. Let me, let me tell you the story. Now, Abraham moved on from there to the region of the Negev and lived between Kadesh and Shur. And for a while, he stayed in Gerar. And there Abraham said of his wife, Sarah, she is my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, are you, as good as, you are as good as dead because of the woman you've taken. She is a married woman. The easy way we see Abraham taken is compromising his character. And what's so amazing is he did this before. Back in chapter 12, Abram goes to Canaan, and there's a, a famine in the land. So he takes his wife, Sarah, and his nephew, Lot, and they go down to Egypt. While they're there, he says, Sarah, you're very beautiful, 
and they're going to kill me to get to you. So let's just tell everyone you're my sister. So Pharaoh takes Sarah into himself, and you know he's, he's going to sleep with her, and then he's inflicted with all these diseases, and his whole household is, gets sick. And he comes back to Abraham and says, what are you doing? There's something going on here you didn't tell me about. Oh, yeah, that's really my wife. Ah! No wonder I'm under a curse. Take your wife. Here's some animals. Get out of here. So here he does it again. Why? Again, because he's afraid. He's afraid of what might happen. See, what would have happened had he, had he said to his wife, honey, you remember last time when we came to a foreign place and what we did? Let's not do that this time. You are my wife. And, and if God's able to do hard things, if God's able to do the impossible, surely he's able to spare us from anything that might happen that would separate us. See, wouldn't that have been the faithful response? Instead, he cowers in fear and says, oh, you're still looking pretty good at 99, and, uh, and I want to live, so let's roll the dice with this one more time. And it's Abimelech who has this vision from the Lord, and God says, you touch that woman, you're dead. And so he, he comes back to Abraham and says, what have you done? Why did you do this to me? See, this is so ironic. The man who's not the believer has more integrity than the man who's a believer. That's what's so amazing. The man who doesn't even claim to follow God is more obedient to God in this moment than Abraham, who's the man of promise, who's the man that God had given this covenant to. And I think sometimes we miss a great opportunity when we, out of fear, compromise our character. When we give in, we fail to stand up for what's right. We give in to our friends at school. We give in to the pressures at work. We tell a little lie. We, we fabricate a story. We cross a moral line. We do things that we know are questionable simply because we're trying to, you know, save ourselves. We're trying to protect ourselves. We want to fit in. Do you know that when uh, the worst time for kids that, that leave the house are the, is the, like the first month of college? Because it's, it's shown that that first month of college, patterns get established of their character that carry with them the rest of their years of college. And they usually happen when they start getting invited to parties. They start getting invited to group settings where now they're being challenged. Do you really want to hold to the things that you believed were good? And once you start giving in, you give in again and again and again. See, God's, God calls us to do the hard thing, to stand up and be a person of character. You know what? We should be, in our jobs, in our neighborhoods, in our families, the people of highest character. And what happened here is Abraham, Abraham and his wife leave and really, I think, in a lot of embarrassment, hey, we really blew that one. We really blew that. <sighs> that. That person probably doesn't think a lot of us now because of the way we handled this. Wouldn't it be far better to someone say, you know what, maybe they even disagree with our moral position, but you're a person who's pretty, pretty solid on what you believe is true. You're a person who makes a stand and you stand firm with it. See, Abram missed an opportunity. But you know what? Next week, we're going to see a story again where Abraham actually follows through and does what I think is the hardest thing he ever had to do. And you're going to hear that story next week. But we look at all this, these stories of up and down in Abraham's life because you and I do the same thing. Sometimes we're really good and sometimes we get it right. And then, then the next time we, we do something and oftentimes the things we do are the things we did years ago. Like, how could I keep doing this thing that I, that I thought I had outgrown? Why do I keep falling back into this behavior? And the reason you do is because you're sinful, and sin is a struggle, and sin is a battle, and unless you choose to do the hard thing continually, you'll do the easy thing, and the easy thing is to slide into sin. 
But I believe God's calling us today to step up again, to not, not focus on being perfect, but to focus on our walk with God, that I'm going to walk in the direction of faith. And right now with this issue that's facing me, this issue that's hard, I'm going to choose to do the hard thing rather than the easy thing. See, that's the key thing for all of us. When you're faced with the decision to make, will you, will you bypass the easy thing to do the hard thing? Because when you do, your faith will grow. And so today I'm inviting you to do the hard thing. Now, I don't know what it's like for some of you. For some of you, it might be confronting someone over an issue. It might be confessing something to somebody. It might be apologizing to someone for the way you've acted or things that you've done. It might be sharing your faith with someone that doesn't know the Lord, that you've been so afraid of how they're going to react when you do. It might be making a financial commitment that you've been afraid to do because you don't know where where things are going to come from to to make sure your needs are met. You've been afraid, afraid to trust God in tithing because you just don't see it yet. And I'm just telling you, take the hard way of faith. Do the hard thing because you'll have peace and you'll be blessed when you do. So I want you to stand now and prayer partners, if you'd be available all up front here, because some of you today is, is the day to do the hard thing. Now I'll tell you that there's probably some of you in this place, and I run into them all the time in our church, who've been coming to church for weeks and sometimes months or years and have never walked down an aisle to surrender to Jesus Christ. It's like, you know, I hear it, but I walk out maybe another day, maybe another time. You've never actually got into a, a baptistry to die with Christ to symbolize your surrender to him because you're afraid of what other people think. But I'm telling you today, don't let fear in today. Fear is a liar. Listen to the voice of faith and surrender to the Lord. If you've got an area of your life to surrender today, if you need to say yes to him, if you need to come to Jesus for the very first time to give it all to him, our prayer partners want to affirm that, want to pray over you today and make this a time of just giving it all to the Lord. Do the hard thing. Let's do the hard thing and you'll be blessed.